It's after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Menola Mabar 
Shelly, for me. 
Hashem Echad 
It's a brand new single that has really caught our attention. It's uh, Yaakov Shweki. I Can Be is the name of that selection. Really amazing tune. Uh, JM in the AM on a Friday morning, 27 minutes after 6 o'clock. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Baruch Levine and Simcha Liner together with that uh, medley off of Project Relax. Also a good one. Uh, the Weinrib Brothers, Me'ain Olam Haba. That's their title track. And Regesh, Modani opening things up. And we say... Good morning. JM in the AM, welcome to a Friday on this June 26, day 9 in the month of Tammuz, the year 5775. Tough Shin Ayin It's Erev Shabbos Chukas. Candle lighting time at 8.11 on this Erev Shabbos. 8.11 is your candle lighting time. A lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. It is that time of year. Where many synagogues begin very early. We were, we had a discussion last week about the, uh, the times that Shabbos is out in places like, um, in places like London and Paris. There are some places that are just, uh, really, really late this time of year. Some places even later than those. And, um, it just takes a, it takes a it takes a long time to get to Avdala, Let's put it that way. <laughs> Seventy two degrees outside with seventy. I don't know why that's so funny. Seventy percent humidity. Winds are north at one mile per hour. Today's forecast: cloudy skies and a high of seventy seven. Whatever heat wave we have is uh, certainly broken. Uh, partly cloudy with a low temperature of seventy of sixty six tonight, and then uh, afternoon rain for Shabbos with a high temperature. 70 degrees. Looks like rain for Sunday as well. Uh, right now, Yerushalayim is at 76 and sunny. A big shout-out to our friends up in Guilford, New York. Camp Masora is getting ready for Sunday when their staff arrives, possibly in the rainy weather. Uh, they're at 56, heading up to 76 on this Friday. Uh, wishing a uh, wonderful camping season to Joseph Stansky and to Ari Katz and the staff and the campers up at Camp Masora. From all of us here at JM in the AM. Uh, it's Friday. We will do the weekly update. We mentioned uh, earlier in the week that the uh, Honline and Bach families had suffered a uh, terrible loss with the passing of Sender Bach. Um, we checked with Malcolm, and he is able to join us today. And we will certainly offer our condolences uh, in this public forum and uh, get his perspective on things and move on into the, into the heart of the... Um, of the weekly update, which of course is uh, to analyze and discuss the events of this week. So that will be coming up starting at 7.40 this morning, the weekly update, 7.40 Eastern Time. You can tell your friends and relatives around the world to uh, listen in on the NSN app for Android or iPhone. By the way, yesterday we got the statistics of how many people have uh, installed the NSN app. It is unbelievable the percentage on iPhone and the percentage on Android iPhone is more, I think that's obvious, but not much more, which I found very interesting. So a special shout-out to the Android users out there. Thank God we created that app 
so that you could uh, tune in as well. Uh, you can listen at the jmnam.org, whatever it is, whatever strikes your fancy. Just be tuned in as we do the weekly update. Or by Uden coming up at 8.15 and plenty more. It's a Friday, Erev Shabbos, and this is JM in the AM.
Before that with Mehera, you heard me Mama Kim done by Aryeh Kunstler. Ari Goldwagon, Menucha Vesimcha, Eitan Katz, Hadhu Alokenu. Am Kadosh with Shir HaShabbat opening that set. Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Chukas, candle lighting at 8.11. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Our listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. 
Broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Special welcome to those who are tuned in on the NSN app. Thank you for listening in. Weekly update 40 minutes away. Malcolm Holmline will join us. We'll go through the events of this week. Rabbi Yudin at 8.15 Eastern Time this morning with words about Parshas Chukah. 72 degrees, cloudy skies, a high temperature of 77. Galitzal, the background. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday era of Shabbos follows next. We say Boker Tov from JM in the AM. Galitzal, Ashash Time, Kan Shibel Karmi Mansur, Imashakore Achshab. בצרפת חשד לפיגוע טרור, אדם אחד נהרג ומספר נוספים נפצעו בעיר גרנובל שבמזרח המדינה. כתבנו עומר קדרון. אדם ערוף ראש נמצא מחוץ למפעל למוצרי הליום, חמצן וגז ליד גרנובל ועוד מספר בני אדם נפצעו מפיצוץ מיכל גז במפעל. עד העירייה דיווחו כי התוקף הלך עם דגל איסלאמי וייתכן כי ישנו יותר מתוקף אחד. משטרת צרפת עצרה אדם אחד בחשד לביצוע תקיפה שהיה כבר במעקב הרשויות. ראש לצרפת מנואל ואלס הורה בתגובה על הגברת הכוננות בכל אזור האלפים בדרום מזרח צרפת. נשיא צרפת הולנד כינס לפני מספר דקות מסיבת עיתונאים והכריז מדובר באופן חד משמעי בטרור אידיאולוגי. אין לנו ספק כי מדובר במתקפת טרור וכי התוקפים רצו לפוצץ את המפעל, כך הולנד. סוכל פיגוע בבקעת הירדן, גבר פלסטיני הגיע למחסום בקעות ופתח באש אל עבר חיילים שעמדו בו. הכוח חיסל את המחבל במקום. כתבנו ענבל תמיר מדגיש שאיש מהחיילים לא נפגע. בגבול מצרים נפצע קצין צה"ל באורח קל מאוד. כתבנו טל אברהם Yeah. 
Life is short, so make it last. Stop chasing your dreams and for a moment, don't live in the past. Right now is the sweetest time in the glow of candlelight. With a blessing over wine, time stands still. Shahid, 
J.M. and the A.M. Nachamu Ami, that's F.E. Green, brand new, an Ari Goldwag selection. Yeah, I'm already thinking of Shabbos Nachamu. <laughs> I'm trying to skip over the entire three weeks and get straight to Shabbos Nachamu. Wouldn't that be good? <laughs> Why not? Uh, three weeks begin a week from Sunday, believe it or not. Unbelievable. And uh, Thursday, the first week of the three weeks on Thursday, Charlie Bernhardt's going to be here. We're going to play some cantorial selections. Yeah, I'll, I'll warn everybody in advance. There will be musical accompaniment to uh, those cantorial selections, but trust me, they're uh, more appropriate for the three weeks than some of the a cappella selections that people insist we play. Um, yeah, you heard me say it. I um, I remind you, that week, that'll be the day after we get back from Houston, Texas, because that week we are heading down to Houston to uh, participate in the uh, quote-unquote relief effort. And I say it that way because we're going to be spreading the word. We're not actually going to be doing... Uh, the work, and I'm sure many relief workers and uh, so many thousands of people are working hard to uh, physically get everything back into order in Houston, but we are going to uh, spread the word and hopefully encourage people to support the cause down there as the Jewish community is one of many communities down in Houston, Texas, that's really been hit by the uh, superstorm hurricane that flooded the place, uh, Matze Shvuis, at the end of May. Uh, so we'll be down there, and the community is uh, very much anticipating our visit, which is wonderful. We've heard how they've reacted to it, so thank you. And uh, we look forward to that. Uh, the show that we're going to be doing from Houston, which will be Tuesday night, will air Wednesday morning of that week, uh, the 8th of July, right here at JMNAM. Isaac Honig from the brand-new Ton of the Bay CD that we introduced earlier this week from Deer Shoe, that's the title track, and the Yerachmiel had Day of Rest from the Secret of Shabbos album here at JM in the AM. 8.11 is candlelighting time on the Zerub Shabbos Parshas Chukas. Don't forget we have amazing programming all through the weekend. Uh, Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night will start about 9.25 with Avrami and a bridge version of Saturday Night Seagull. Uh, we'll then move into the, uh, into our programming on Saturday night, which at 10 o'clock is, uh, Eternal Flame at 11 o'clock. Headlines, the right David Lichtenstein. And uh, Sunday morning, Matis hosts JM Sunday. Starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on the stream at jmnam.org. The NSN app. And uh, great programming all the way until we get back here on Monday morning. That's how it works. Malcolm Honline will join us. Weekly update about 20 minutes from now right here. At JMN, plus our Yudin at 8.15 Eastern Time and Parshas Chukas. Naomi Nachman is on today with another amazing and incredible program. Naomi Nachman hosts Table for Two every single Friday. And uh, today is no exception when it comes to her amazing work. She has uh, put together a um, Table for Two with teen celebrity chef Eitan Bernath, chef Katsuji Tanabe of Mexicosher from L.A., and Lisa Hawk, the executive director of the Levi Yitzchak Children's Library in um, in the Five Towns, who's bringing in the chef from L.A. to do a cooking demo for the library's annual Chinese auction. So you can hear Naomi with both those segments coming up between 9 and 10 this morning uh, on your NSN app, on jmnam.org. And, of course, you can see it all if you go to the video on the home screen of uh, nachomsegel.com. So that's all going to be happening at 9 a.m. this morning. Uh, right after JM in the AM. 
More coming up, including this from Yosef Chaim at JM in the AM.
is he amazing? That's Ohad. He joined us earlier in the week for the uh, official release of this CD entitled Segula. He's amazing. And Lamelech, that might be the song from the album. That might be. I mean, there are a lot of great ones, but that might be the one that is going to be the uh, absolute biggest hit. What a great selection. Eighth day with Jerusalem Stone. You heard Yosef Chaim with Hatan Vikala here at JM in the AM. Well, many of you may have heard that in Teaneck, New Jersey last night, Gotham Burger literally had a car drive into the restaurant. Thank God the two people injured seem to be okay, at least based on the news reports. Uh, we hope and pray they're doing well. And... Um, it's just, I mean, the, the, the pictures and the, uh, the miraculous fact that not more people were injured or even, you know, God forbid worse than that is, uh, unbelievable. So thank God it seems everybody's okay. And, uh, I assume Gotham Burger and Teaneck is going to need a little bit of a facelift after what happened yesterday. Make sure to be tuned into to Amatis Weingast this coming Sunday morning on JM Sunday, which is on our stream at jmtheam.org and on the NSN app, because Amatis will likely have some type of update on that situation as uh, they go through the aftermath of that uh, hard-to-believe accident um, in Teaneck, New Jersey. Candle lighting at 8.11 on this Erev Shabbos, Parshas Chukas. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Feel free to comment on our app. The NSN app for Android and iPhone gives you the ability to comment on the home screen. Naomi Nachman coming up with a couple of great guests. 9 a.m. this morning right here at jmtheam.org. Immediately following this radio program, she's going to uh, have her table for two show. And teen celebrity chef Eitan Bernath will be there. Chef Kasuji Tanabe of Mexico from Los Angeles will be joined by Lisa Hawk, the executive director of the Levi Yitzhak Children's Library in the five towns, who's bringing in the chef to do a cooking demo for the library's annual Chinese auction. This is all happening between 9 and 10 this morning with Naomi Nachman and Table for Two, followed by the incredible Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos music mix all the way until candlelighting time. That's pretty late today. Oh, yes. So that'll all be happening uh Today on jmtheam.org and on the NSN app, make sure to be tuned in. Uh, oh, yeah, if you're traveling to the Catskills today and you're stuck in one of those four, four-and-a-half, five-hour traffic jams, make sure to have our app on. No better way to prepare for shy. It'll get, if you're walking in at 8.15, <laughs> if you're walking at 8.15 to your destination because you just spent the last four hours on the road, then there's no better way to prepare for Shabbos. Otherwise, you just walk in and you have to start Shabbos. You're not ready. But this way... You listen to our app all through the day. You are ready for Shabbos, even if you arrive, God forbid, that close to Shabbos. But I guess, yeah, it's better to arrive that close than, than miss it by anything. Uh, so make sure to be tuned in all day long on our app, on the stream, for the Arab Shabbos music mix. And those who are going away, make sure to leave plenty of time, plenty of time, so you can reach your destination within within reason. Please, I beg of you. More coming up. Malcolm Homeline with a weekly update just minutes away. This is JM in the AM. Next door, 
but somehow he's someone we've ignored. He watches as we walk to show our hearts so full of love, dressed up in our finest to thank the one above. Yet none could find a way or make time in their day to ask him if he'd like to come and pray. Just one Shabbos and we'll all be free. Just one Shabbos, come and join with me. We'll sing and dance to the sky with our spirits so high. We will show them all it's true. Let them come and join us too. Just one Shabbos and we'll all be free. Just one Shabbos, come and join with me. We'll sing and dance to the sky. I said to him, hello, my friend, he seemed a bit surprised. I wished him a good Shabbos, confusion filled his eyes. I've seen you all before, I'd love to learn much more. But I've never done it all, I'm just not sure. I asked him, won't you join with us to understand and see? He came and stayed a while and thanked us happily. Next Shabbos came along. His feelings grew so strong He first began to feel that he belonged Just one Shabbos and we'll all be free Just one Shabbos, come and join with me We'll sing and dance to the sky With our spirits so high We will show them all it's true it in his life, shared it with his family, his children and his wife, they learn new things each day, to live the Torah way, the message of one job is here to stay, and now I never miss a chance to stop and look around, invite some people home to share the sights and sounds of Shabbos candlelight, and Zmiro's Friday night. And get to see Jewish soul ignite Just one Shabbos and we'll all be free Shabbos project, come and join with me We'll sing and dance to the sky With our spirits so high We will show them all is true Let them come and join us
Freed actually calls that Nigun L'Shabbos V'Yom Tov from his Yankel Yankel CD. Benny Friedman and company, including the uh, Marcus family with Just One Shabbos off the Shabbos Project single that was released last year. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos on this Parsha Shukas, candle lighting time at 8.11. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Big shout out to our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. They continue to enthusiastically recommend us, our incredible live stream, to their hundreds of thousands of subscribers, and we thank them for that. If you want to print out about, oh, I don't know, a thousand articles or so before Shabbos to read about what's going on in this world of ours, you could do that at jewishworldview.com. And also a shout-out, of course, to our friends at Only Simclus, who are using so much of our content, and we are very, very grateful that we are part of their uh, news system um, to... Um, opposed to their hundreds of thousands of subscribers around the world, and they're going way beyond the Simchas and uh, Mazel Tovs um, at this time around. They're providing a whole bunch of information and great news stories, so check them out as well. Don't forget, Matis has JM Sunday this coming Sunday between 7 and 9 a.m. on the stream at jmtheam.org with a great weekend of programming in general on our stream. Don't forget, the NSN app keeps you con- uh, connected. Android and iPhone uh, for anything that um, you'd like to hear over the weekend, and, of course, to comment on the home screen of the app whenever you wish. Well, as we mentioned earlier this week, uh, the Bach and Honline families uh, suffered a uh, terrible loss uh, last Friday, actually, just before Shabbos, with the passing of Sender Bach. And um, I, uh, many people, of course, in this audience know the Bach family, and many people know the Honline family, and uh, both of them 
uh, in this um, uh, tragedy this week. And the Malcolm, uh, and of course, Senderbach was Malcolm's son-in-law, just so everyone has the perspective here. And Malcolm, um, uh, we were not sure if we would do the weekly update this morning, but uh, we uh, we spoke, and uh, we are going to analyze the events of the week. But first, of course, we will extend condolences and get a word from Malcolm about the circumstances. Um, Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Malcolm, on behalf of all of us, and I know that all our listeners join me in saying this, our condolences to you and the entire uh, Bach and Honline families from all of us here at JM and the AM. Thank you, and I thank so many people who have not only come, but called or wrote, and um, those who knew Sender directly or knew Meira who has been simply amazing. He, he was sick for more than two years in a very difficult battle that he fought courageously with a lot of support from his family, and uh, especially his wife and his uh, family, members of his family on both sides, the brothers, sisters, sister-in-laws, brothers-in-law. But unfortunately, the, the ultimate decision uh, was as it was, and... Um, he has four wonderful children uh, that uh, he and Mira have uh, raised from the ages five to fifteen, and I'm sure they will carry on in uh, the way that he would have wanted, uh, guided by their mother and uh, families. And you know, you have to just accept the decisions. And sometimes, with all the prayers, the answer is no. And in this case, it was. He was just turned 40 years old. He was a partner at a major law firm, and we learned many things about him that we didn't know until the funeral about accomplishments and things that he did very quietly. And uh, Both he and Meira were extremely charitable, very quietly, um, and set a tremendous example for their kids, uh, who I no doubt will carry on. Well, our heart goes out, of course, the entire family, and uh, many people, of course, uh, have expressed condolences and uh, extend their wishes. You mentioned something to me on a broader scale when I saw you earlier in the week, and I think it's such an important lesson. Um, you watched as uh, a remarkable segment of a remarkable community. Uh, you mentioned family, of course, and uh, who would expect otherwise from families like yours. Uh, but members of the community, friends, and, and those who just stepped up and were there for the family, as you described it, to a very, very long battle. And I think that uh, there are other communities and other segments of our worldwide Jewish community that always need to be reminded how important it is for people to step up and help out when necessary. You're absolutely right, and I was uh, negligent uh, not to mention it, it, it is the most amazing example I've seen of community, of people caring for one another, both throughout this period and especially during this week. Uh, the friends here, the people in the Teaneck community, are it's simply remarkable. And the level of devotion and care, the love for Sender and Meira and their children, people organizing, young kids from the schools, uh, classmates of, uh, of the children, scheduled, brought in carpools so the children wouldn't be alone during the day. The, of course, supplying the food and taking care of, uh, of everything in, in ways you can't imagine to be here at midnight. Often there were late night runs to the hospital or something and people had to step in or just come over and to help get through these, uh, the, the difficult days. It, it is a true lesson to us and, and I certainly am 
tremendously inspired by what I have seen. It's really hard to describe it. it it's so remarkable, and the friends are as important as family at a time like this. Yeah, and again, just to emphasize, you're not just talking about this week. You're talking about a years-long process and people really stepping up and being there, and we should all... Uh, hopefully it'll improve all of us. We see this type of example, and uh, we'll all keep and in I mind. I also want to mention the Rebbe's and teachers from Yavna TABC, Yeshiva in North Jersey, where the kids go to school. I mean, they're here all the time, and they're, the way they approach the children, how they've helped them uh, through this period is, is truly amazing. Uh, I hope it could be exemplified by schools around the country, around the world, yeshivas, to, to have people of such sensitivity, the Gemara Rebbe's who come at midnight and talk to kids and counselors coming, everything. It's just incredible. Really amazing. Kudos to all of them in Kolakavod, to everybody collectively. Uh, we remember Sender Bach and uh, mourn his passing, and may his memory be a blessing, which no doubt it will be uh, for everybody. Uh, Malcolm Holmline is with us, and we will switch gears and get into the events of this week and discuss what we do on a weekly basis here at JMN, which is, of course, What's going on in this world of ours? Malcolm, there is a, a new flotilla, the latest attempt to um, deliver supplies. In this case, they're claiming that they're carrying solar panels and medical supplies for Gaza residents. The flotilla does include an Arab member of Knesset, which is angering many people in Israel. I don't think just the Israeli Knesset members, but I would imagine many people in the state of Israel in general. What's the latest on this flotilla? Well, this is another one in the continuation of the series because they saw how much publicity they got last time and how the world reacted when Israel blocked uh, the Turkish ships, uh, the Mavi Mamara, uh, which still continues to reverberate. And the U.N. actions, I think, feed this uh, uh, idea that they can put Israel continuously on the defensive, even though the courts ruled that what Israel did was not only legal but necessary, it was in compliance with an international sanction, and uh, that uh, it's a defensive blockade to prevent the import of weapons. As you know, there's a long history of that. So on illegal grounds, Israel has every right to do it. Israel does not blockade Gaza. As you know, there are between 800 and 1,000 trucks a day going into Gaza with supplies, so there's no shortage in terms of medicines, etc. The problem is that Hamas takes stuff, especially cement and building materials, that were sent for 83,000 families, and they uh, either buy it or just take it as it comes across the border to use for tunnels and to use for their purposes. They also uh, try to sell a lot of this stuff. There's a black market. Uh, as you know, Egypt has blocked its side uh, the access routes and uh, gave them temporary relief every once in a while, but there's no, you don't see any flotillas going to Egypt. So this is really a propaganda ploy. It's not based upon a humanitarian need. At what point does Israel have authority? Do they have to enter Israeli uh, waters? Like, at what point can Israel step in? Because I think last time one of the problems was it happened so close to shore. Is that is that correct or not? Well, that's, that is true, that there is an issue there about where they can do it. You know, in it, The question is doing it in international waters, or do you wait till they're actually in Gaza territorial waters or Israeli territorial waters? Hmm. And but but we have the right to intercept as America does ships on the high seas, but ships going to let's say Yemen are being intercepted or redirected uh, far off the coast of Yemen because you don't want them to get there where they can slip into some place and offload uh, their their um, 
uh, cargo, and they will not be subject to, to inspection. And this ship, it's a fishing vessel that went through the waters of Spain, Portugal, Germany, all over where it could have been stomped and wasn't. Um, Israel cannot allow the breach to take place. They do say that if they want to dock at any of the ports and uh, offload the stuff onto trucks where it can be inspected, that they will allow it to go into Gaza. So it's clearly not because they want this stuff to get in. They want to use this as a as a lever against and a propaganda ploy against Israel. When do you think it'll all come to a head? Sunday, Monday? What's the estimate? It, it depends, and it depends on when Israel decides to, to intercept. And it also will depend upon what, what their intentions are. Are they going to fight? Are they going to try to create a scene uh, which they can then film, you know, try to show Israeli soldiers in a negative light as they did last time? And we found out that a lot of it just was simply staged and untrue. Um, that uh, that we could expect it in the next couple of days, uh, and it's funny. The first thing you said was publicity, and if and if they saw just how incredible their publicity was the first time around, why wouldn't they try this again? And frankly, because because of the first one, I can only imagine how much media is going to be paying attention to this. It, it could end up being a, comp- a a real vicious cycle of these types of episodes because each and every time there's more and more publicity being mounted for them. And it's only because the media wants to see violence. And if there is none, they will pay very little attention to it uh, long term. If there is, then, of course, the Palestinian propaganda machine, aided and abetted by NGOs and non-governmental organizations, funded by Europe. And we see more and more the reports about the role that these NGOs, uh, often being funded by Holland or Germany or other countries, uh, to, to do supposedly human rights advocacy, things like that, and in fact are using their money, and together with some NGOs in Israel, as we saw in, in the Gaza report, how many times places like B'Tselem and uh, uh, other organizations were cited, I think this B'Tselem alone was cited 69 times wow. in, the, uh, in the report, and other organizations, Amnesty International, over 50 times, and they target simply Israel. It's not because they're even-handed and going after the others. Hamas, in that report, because they, they they just did it on the basis of hearsay. They had no investigation of Hamas's activities, and it, it's relegated to to a secondary position. Of course, Israel is the main focus of the report, uh, even though they do say that both sides could be guilty of war crimes as if there's some equivalency between what happened on both sides of the border, who fired the rockets, who started it, who fired at civilian populations, who tried to avoid civilian populations, who, who used people as human shields, used UN organizational headquarters and facilities to store weapons and to draw fire on them. And yet it's all ignored. And the same thing is true with the flotilla. The humanitarian situation in Gaza is the fault of Hamas and the, the kleptocracy that exists there. Not because Israel doesn't allow goods in. You just have to go any day to the south, and, and you can see the trucks line up and go through, the, and they're building additional facilities to accommodate many more uh, trucks to be able to go through and, and deliver goods to uh, the people in Gaza. Uh, by the way, uh, in terms of the U.N. and the Security Council not hearing or not having a discussion regarding the uh, the Gaza war report, is that a formal uh, U.S. veto, or is that just a you know a, a a right that the United States has not to put something on the table? How does that work officially? Well, this time we're trying. They're trying to dissuade uh, the Palestinians and the 
uh, from bringing the the report to the Security Council, they advised them that it was a bad move. They ah, so they're they're leveraging it essentially. Right now, leveraging it, right. they ultimately they don't want to exercise a veto, right. but if necessary, I think on this one they will. The the other issue that the Palestinians are going to need international criminal court uh, against Israel using the UN Human Rights uh, Report. That's what I was going to ask you. If that's basically their evidence, is they just take the UN report and bring it with them? Absolutely, and again because. It doesn't focus on their activities. It doesn't talk right. about what they do. Uh, and the U.N. Human Rights Council warned them that they could be subject to, to these war crime charges also. And the U.S. and others have advised them not to do it. But he, he, he gets away with it. He just does what he wants and can um, present anything he wants, despite the fact that everybody knows it's all counterproductive. And, again, concocted. Uh, often based upon hearsay or, or reports that have no evidentiary basis. And we saw the reports of the former chiefs of staff and other generals, American generals, who went there and studied these issues, who came out with glowing reports about how Israel conducted itself and the restraint that it demonstrated. Yeah, well, but nobody seems to pay attention to that. Uh, is this never-ending, as uh, just similar to our other uh, story we already spoke about with the publicity, as long as there's an interest in in um, keeping Israel in the headlines in this regard, they'll just keep bringing these reports and keep bringing up this topic to the ICC. Is, is it never ending, or will there finally be at some point a conclusion to all this? Well, I'm sure at some point there'll be a conclusion, but I don't know what it will be. That uh, it, it serves their purpose. Look, this is the way Abbas avoids responsibility. He does nothing inside the territory. He does nothing for the people, which is why you're seeing increasing uh, unrest and activity in in the. Uh, in the West Bank and other areas, and he can't do anything with Hamas. He's not allowed to go to Gaza, so he's talking now about excluding Hamas from the next government or any future government and breaking the uh, so-called unity government that he has with them. It's a sham. And we saw now that uh, this week that they went after Fayyad, you know, the former uh, prime minister who was known and supported by the U.S. because he tried to clean up the act, and now they're charging him with money laundering, and uh, they, they froze his bank accounts uh, because, you know, he's a potential challenger to, to Abbas, and they want to eliminate any challengers. So they they now targeted him for, for this kind of harassment persecution, and you, you don't hear a peep. Nobody says anything about it. So this is how Abbas stays in power. He creates new targets. He keeps the focus. You know, they named uh, a sports team for terrorists again this week. They continue all these offensive acts, and they get away with it. You don't hear, you know, the president and others getting up and saying how this is outrageous. You can't do this, you know, as opposed to anything that an Israeli leader or minister says something right away. There's, There's a ton of criticism coming from all sorts of sources. And this it only feeds them the the idea that they don't have to negotiate, and they're trying to create the pressure cooker in the UN, at the ICC, in all these places, to try and isolate Israel, demonize Israel, pushing the boycott. By the way, more and more, right. uh, the BDS movement. A lot of it emanates from uh, the Palestinian territories. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at ninety one point nine in the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. The Vatican signed its first treaty with the quote unquote State of Palestine today. 
Um, now, last time that this happened, where there was a reference to the state of Palestine or a treaty with them, you and other Jewish leaders sort of downplayed it, that it wasn't really the first time the Vatican had acknowledged them, etc., etc. Anything new, or, or do you think any differently because of the formality that occurred today? Again, it wasn't that we downplayed the significance of it. We, we just said it wasn't the first time, because the media started saying, well, this is the first time they ever recognized right. it. We said it's not the first time. And it's unfortunate any time they do it and, and engaging them without any uh, conditions, without any uh, using the opportunity to leverage uh, whatever deals and, and the Vatican's you know, treaties are of, of limited impact. Uh, because it's of limited capacity in terms of of uh, what it can offer, but it it is an, um, on a psychological basis, on a political basis, very significant. Um, is it true or not that Tehran will get high tech reactors as part of their nuclear deal? This is still uh, unclear about what what is a rumor and what, what is true fiction and what is truth about what they're being offered. Uh, there were reports that the United States w- w- or the P5 plus 1 would provide uh, more sophisticated and highly technical uh, advances, equipment uh, that would be monitored. But r- I do not see it yet in the deal. We won't know much until this weekend when Zarif, the foreign minister of Iran, the pro- Secretary of State Kerry, and uh, Fabus of France and others will come to the talks in Vienna that have been going on five days a week. but. People don't know that the, uh, you know, that the detailed negotiations and the, the attempt to try and reach the deadline by uh, June 30th, which I'm not sure will, will hold, <coughs> there will be an attempt to try and reach it because if it goes past July 10th, then the Congress, instead of getting 30 days to review whatever the deals, gets 60 days and holds it up, and the. Um, uh, the administration certainly would like to see it be fast-tracked if there is, in fact, a deal. We see that Khamenei still denies the uh, ability, the, the willingness to allow inspectors into military sites, which is very important because they will just hide everything there, and to, to interview the uh, inspectors, uh, the inspectors to interview uh, nuclear scientists. And more importantly, we see the refusal even to open up certain facilities. The most important development was this in this week, I think, was the letter signed by twenty five thirty high ranking American officials, but five of them former Obama assistants, uh, people who worked in the administration, high level people like Dennis Ross, Bob Einhorn, um, and then they were joined by people like uh, Jim Wolsey, former head of the CIA, uh, deputy chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, really significant people. Uh, so the statement had to be one that could get all of them to sign on, but it is very significant, and it lays out the areas, and I, I suggest everybody uh, read it. It was written up in the papers as well, uh, and the dailyalert.org, of course, has the, the full text and things that people can read. But it's very significant because they talk about the past, the, the possible military dimensions or past military dimensions, the PMDs as they're known, and and they say that you can't give sanctions relief until we know what are the bases because these are the timelines. How can IA inspectors to be able to do it effectively in a timely way to take samples, to interview scientists, to inspect sites? Um, th- this is required to investigate their past 
and any ongoing nuclear weaponization. Right now, we don't know. The, the, the inspectors of the IA, they talked about monitoring and verification and compliance with the agreement. We said anywhere, anytime, and now we see it's not anywhere, anytime in the country. The question of advanced centrifuges, which I know makes people's you know eyes roll when we talk about these as seemingly technical issues, they are not. It has to do with what, how fast they will be able to break out. You don't, you lose the one year the president talks about, and what are the consequences of violations? What, what, what will Iran will do? This the idea of snapback, I think, has been largely debunked. And then, of course, the issue of sanctions relief. They say they want it right away, everything. What is going to be the, the process? Because once you suspend it, it's very hard. You can't, you know, just reimpose them. And the, and the non-nuclear uh, sanctions, like for terrorism, et cetera, have to remain intact. And even if, we have to remember that even if Congress decides not to lift the sanctions that they were imposed by Congress, if they review the agreement, the parties can still go to the UN and remove the, san- the original sanctions which were imposed, which will give the Europeans and others a green light to be able to go in and, and do what they want. And if people feel that this is too much detail for them about this, they understand how significant what, what the content of this agreement will be for the future of the region, the future of America, the future of Israel, because all of those are targets for this uh, effort. And one of the issues that's raised there is that it has nothing to do, and there's no mention of not only the weaponization of ballistic missiles, but no mention of their terrorism support, right. no mention of their aggressive activities with Hamas, with Hezbollah, with Ye- in Yemen, in Iraq, in Syria. None of that is even covered in this agreement. But even but speaking about not being mentioned, it's somewhere in the letter it says the United States must itself articulate the serious consequences Iran will face if there's a violation. I mean, this is something that's never been expressed. There has never been a direct discussion or certainly a public policy that the United States has offered to tell Iran and the world what's going to happen if they do violate this agreement. Absolutely, as I mentioned, that the the question of the sanctions and what and and how they can be imposed, because we know that once the door is open, we, there are hundreds of European businessmen, others all waiting to jump in. There's the question of the supposedly, you know, they call it the sign up bonus about the tens of billions of dollars that are sitting in frozen accounts that could be lifted. And the president talked about amount up to 150 billion dollars. Uh, there could be immediate relief of 30, 40, 50 billion. So they don't care about the sanctions. They won't care about compliance because that money, think of what they're doing now in supporting terrorism, supporting Assad, supporting uh, militia groups, uh, et cetera. What will they do if they finally have this uh, influx of, of tens of billions of dollars? to escalate these activities. So it looks like there'll be another delay, and, and and it's bad for both sides. It's bad for the sides that thinks it's not strong enough, and it's bad for the side that wants to see a deal already. It, it, well, actually, the Israelis feel that a delay is better because they feel that the pressure of a timeline is driving the process and that, therefore, they will make a bad deal because they think that this is essential to... to um, uh, uh, in, in order to, to get any deal... That the longer it drags on, the, uh, many of the experts hope that the, the Iranians won't feel that they have us over a barrel by trying to get to this deadline. Uh, and uh, it's better to operate now under the JPOA, the, the, the previous agreement, the JPOA, 
than to rush into a bad deal that would be even worse. Well, I'm sure you've had encounters with Secretary Kerry. Is there a sense of urgency on his part or not? Well, he, he right, he's, you know, he was out of it for a, a while because of the operation, but kept intact. I, know, I do think that there's a very strong sense of urgency. I told you that one of the reasons is this congressional calendar and the impact on the, the agreement that was signed, if you remember, a couple a month ago, right. uh, that enables them to have the review, but the review process doubles if they don't have a deal by July 10th because of the congressional recess. So there are, are reasons why they would want to, and they know that the opposition to it is growing every day. You would not have had a statement like this against the deal, I think, a year ago. But it's a growing uh, recognition on the part of top experts on a bipartisan level, left to right, Republican and Democrat, saying this deal, what we're hearing and what we see is in the works, is a bad deal. Right. You know, it's funny. Usually, usually the deal when we're talking about Washington is referring to the uh, Israelis and the Palestinians. That 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 deal has sort of been put on the back burner by everybody because it's a, this deal is now the deal that everyone's talking about and that everybody wants to see go through. Well, there's also, an, uh, it's important, just one point, that there are reports that the French are withdrawing their resolution, their intended resolution at the United Nations because they say, you know, we went to Israel, they told us, what are you doing? This is ridiculous. But the Palestinians told them they don't want it. And they're saying if both sides don't want it, what are we going to do with it? Right. So the, the whole idea of the Palestinians uh, are repeatedly, they have no interest in any kind of negotiations, any kind of agreement. And I think everybody increasingly is coming to that conclusion. So they want to, as the president said, he wants to create the preconditions, the predicates for negotiations, knowing that it's not going to happen in the remaining time of his tenure, his presidency. But, I mean, they took it off the agenda by their activities. We've been down this road before, no? A couple hundred times. (laughs) Um, What do you think when you hear Ehud Barak say we could defeat ISIS in two days? And shouldn't the reaction be, so why hasn't someone just authorized it and gone in and done it already? Uh, Yeah, sometimes um, people are not careful with their words and... You know, hyperbole is the rule of the day. But, uh, you know, the, the fact is that ISIS could have been defeated easily. And we talked about it when it was very small, if you remember, right. when it was a few hundred, a few thousand, before it became tens of thousands, and a growing infrastructure. And, and look at the the way that they spread now, even into Gaza, and, and fighting Hamas. And while they're much smaller, you see Hamas now linking up with Egypt, and Saudi Arabia reportedly, uh, and in fact providing, according to some reports, and again, not verified, that they provided intelligence information to Israel through that those, these channels, because they see themselves being challenged now by uh, this emerging ISIS in Jerusalem, and as they call themselves, but they also are threatening people, uh, they threaten the Christians in Jerusalem, living in Jerusalem this week. I mean, these are so brutal and, and supposedly there was a beheading in france this morning and, right. and a terrorist attack uh, so in europe you see the rise of these right-wing parties in denmark uh, just this week in the election there they they uh, gained a significant victory as there is a backlash against uh, what is going on in europe and you've seen the drownings that isis is taking credit for right those uh, brutal uh, murder. If, if I, I don't know what to, I don't know. I don't know what's true or what's not with right. these images on the internet. You have no idea. But the, my point being that I mean, the beheadings we know are a fact, right. and, and there's so many brutal murders that have been. And 
it, it is, and, and then, you know, of course, whatever the situation is with these drownings, I reacted the same way. I mean, it, it, what is it going to take for leaders of the free world to express real outrage and to demonstrate a real commitment to defeat this enemy? I mean, if, if they don't react after seeing these images and hearing these stories and seeing these murders, I don't know what it's going to take to get the Western world to really act and act strongly. It's, it's an excellent question, and it's a question that we've wrestled with for many decades, as you know, since the Shoah, where we saw the same thing, and before. But, you know, this week, 43 Yazidi women were the minority in Iraq that we have tried to help uh, were sold as sex slaves to, to terrorists. And it's not something they hide. They advertise it. They want the world to know the brutality of what they do. They want to instill fear in every group that when they come into a, a city, the armies run away not only because they, they don't want to fight, but because they're so afraid of being ending up on the end of a stick. And they behead people constantly and around the whole region. And there's nothing, there's no reaction. And this becomes then a commonplace and accepted practice. And young people get attracted to this movement by the more beheadings, the more attraction. It's uh, it's unbelievable, and the and the types of people with such varied backgrounds. These young kids, every every background imaginable, are being attracted to this kind of stuff. So the Al Qaeda spokesman who was killed this week was an American, right? I mean, it, you're right. It's it's and it's not and there are people who are converting. It's not just Muslims, people who are originally Muslim, but people who convert. Or you see the Somalians from from the Midwest being attracted by the hundreds to 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 these movements. And the numbers are growing everywhere in the world, and including the United States. If, as we said last week, that Jewish unity is paramount to uh, defeat the enemy, and, and anybody who heard it knows what I meant, um, are we going to see a, uh, an attempt by President Rivlin to uh, make up with the Jewish agency leadership? Do you think this feud's going to last a while, or it should be taken care of soon enough? No, I think it'll be it'll be addressed. Both sides don't are not people who are looking for divisiveness. It's... Uh, at a time like this, especially, we we can't afford to waste energy fighting one another with internal differences. Although they will always exist, but they, there has to be a sense of unity. The government has to really be able to act with a dispatch to face the the challenges. I must say that on Harazim, it seems that they are going to be moving on about the Mount of Olives issues, but the uh, security issues in the country are are very severe. You saw again a young man on the West Bank was killed, and Yehudon uh, Shomron, and the the um, um, the number of those driving attacks using cars, using other means, uh, has increased, and they're going to do it until there's really a unified approach. But I saw that Bougie Herzog, for instance, came out this week and said they had leader of the Labor Party mm-hmm. of the. Um, opposition right. uh, said that there, there is no difference at all with Netanyahu over Iran, and that um, and he has expressed a very ex- I think he called it extreme worry about the the deal, and said there's no daylight between him and Netanyahu on this issue. Yeah, I think and, I think it was a very positive thing. I think he was even criticized for making that point during the campaign very often. They, they thought right. they thought it was a bad strategy to try to defeat Netanyahu to keep emphasizing how they agree on that. But you're right that. In the big picture, it's a very important statement. By the way, one of our listeners on the app claims that there's a study this week that showed 24, and you're always up in the polls and stuff, so you probably saw it. A new study showed 24% of American Muslims support violence. So he asks, what are the implications for us? 
the implications are that there's got to be greater effort to monitor what is taught in the schools, what kind of activities are, are going on. It is one of the complaints you hear from law enforcement security that they are more and more limited in their ability. You saw the president hosted an iftar dinner, but uh, two people at his table <coughs> at the White House, two of those who are seated at his table are people who are known to have expressed opinions that Israel shouldn't exist or that Israel's cancer. Two of the uh, Muslim uh, representatives who are there, that sends a bad message. I mean, we should, it's fine to have the Iftar dinner, but you should be extolling the moderates and the people who, who, who you know, are, are, are working against violence and not those who seem to be willing to express uh, such extremist views. And it, it has to be consistent throughout. First, that Muslim leaders leaders have to express themselves, but when they raise their voices, they're hardly heard because it doesn't fit what the media is interested in. And there has to be, law enforcement has to be given the powers and ability and not constantly restricted. When it comes to terrorism, I think the rules have to be different because the nature of the enemy and their activities are different. It's not, you know, standard criminal activity that police uh, are able to to use existing laws to fight. Finally, could you explain to us the significance, if there is importance and significance, that now Egypt again has an ambassador to Israel? Listen, I think that it's it's uh, really significant because the symbolism that this carries. But it must have been done after testing the waters in Egypt, where, as you know, there is extreme hostility despite the government's good relations with Israel. Uh, but this is the result of many years of uh, negative publicity. There is a, a television program in Egypt being produced which portrays Jews for the first time in decades, if not longer, in a positive light. Wow. Uh, I think that there is an attempt here to, to lower the tension, and CC certainly is cooperating, uh, and, I, and will continue as long as uh, it serves Egypt's interests and the regional interests, and, and it's the common enemies that certainly brought them together, but the return of an ambassador sends a very significant message and can help um, for, let's say, other countries in the region to be able to have more contact with uh, Israel. And uh, Jordan, which has an ambassador in Israel, because Egypt withdrew it, put pressure on him, uh, Jordan, and the king to withdraw his ambassador. This changes, uh, I think, uh, certainly the climate uh, to a degree that could have other ramifications. Mm. And I hope that means positive ones. Positive, positive, yeah. yeah. I read an article, I don't know if it was today, I think it was this morning, about uh, the Israeli relationship with Jordan, that it's pretty it's pretty much on solid ground at this point. Listen, Israel does a great deal for Jordan. Is Jordan is very important to Israel, the stability of the government, the ability of the government to continue to function. All are very important, and uh, we should not take it for granted. And that's why Israel has helped Jordan a great deal. And uh, in fact, a new institute opened this week in Jordan that focuses on uh, on Israel and understanding Israel. I don't know if Israelis understand it, so maybe they can guide them. But it's uh, you know there are so many interesting developments happening in the region. Nobody should think that these are permanent changes because in the Middle East, nothing is permanent but they are significant and could potentially bode well. Uh, Malcolm, we should always share uh, many happy occasions together. Uh, this entire audience joins me in extending condolences to your family, to the Bach family, and we should again only celebrate wonderful things uh, together, all of us. Amen. Have a wonderful Shabbos.
Uh, Malcolm Holine is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. And um, we do the weekly update Friday, 7.40 in the morning right here at JM in the AM. Special welcome to those tuned in on the NSN app around the world. We mentioned the early part of the conversation about the passing of Sender Bach, Malcolm's uh, son-in-law, and uh, our, our uh, condolences, of course, to his wife and children, uh, uh, parents, in-laws, the entire family, the entire extended family. Uh, I go way back with the Homeline family. I go even further back with the Bach family. And I always say when it comes to a simcha, it's more meaningful when uh, it's even more meaningful when you know both sides. In this case, when it comes to a tragedy, it is uh, it is um, even more meaningful in a way, so to speak, uh, when you go way back with uh, with everybody who's affected uh, in a direct manner. So again, our condolences uh, to everybody. Erev Shabbos, Parshas Chukas, candle lighting time at eight eleven on this Erev Shabbos. Eight eleven. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are this time each and every Friday. Every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Well, I apologize. We'll get to Rabbi Yudin in a moment. All right, I'm sorry about that. And now I think we could say, good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Chukas. Parshas Chukas, according to the Chinuch, contains three mitzvos. And these mitzvos are, one, the mitzvah of... Torah Aduma, namely that when one becomes Tomei, ritually impure, by having come in contact with a dead body or under the roof of a dead body, together with, they have to have the ashes of the red cow and water from a spring mixed together and sprinkled on that person. The second mitzvah is the law of the procedure. Seven days is the person to be in a state of tumor or more specifically over a seven day period the impurity can be rectified by the sprinkling on day three and day seven and finally what makes the paraduma the quintessential chok the law without our understanding is the fact that the one who does the sprinkling he himself that kohen becomes tamei ritually impure to the evening. So the very ingredients that provide purification for the one who became Tomei, the one who administers, he himself becomes impure. Said the wise King Solomon in the book of Koheles, Omartiach Kama, I thought I could understand all of Torah, all of the Chukim, and this is beyond me. You have as well in Pasha's Chukas, the passing of Miriam, the incident of Memeriva, Moshe hitting the rock as opposed to speaking to the rock. Hence, he and his brother Aaron do not 
enter and lead the people into the land of Israel. You have the passing of Aaron. We are in a transition going from the beginning of the time in the book of Bamidbar to the end of the time because the parsha ends with the war against Sichon and Og. I'd like to focus on the very beginning of the parsha and to note that possibly if any of us were called upon to edit the Torah, perhaps we would have changed but one word. Namely, in the second verse of the Torah, the verse begins, Zos Chukas HaTorah. This is the decree of the Torah. Now we know there are three categories of laws. There are what we call Mishpatim, laws that are logical, that man on his own would include in his own constitution. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. These are called Mishpatim. And then there are Mitzvos, whereby a constitution committee would never have included them, but the Torah not only includes it, but tells us why. So on the night of our celebration of our national freedom from Egypt, on that night the Torah says, matzos, you are to eat matzah, and the Torah gives us a reason for the eating of the matzah. So this is called a mitzvah. The Torah tells us that for seven days we are to sit in Sukkot, and the Torah gives us a reason. So this is not a law of a chok without a reason and it's not a logical law but it's a mitzvah namely a law that God gives us with our understanding so too the mitzvah of tefillin etc then there's the chok the chok is a law whereby the Torah does not give us a rational understanding thereof. So, the fact that you cannot wear a garment of shatnes, wool and linen, speak to your local dermatologist and ask him how many cases of rash due to shatnes has he seen? And the answer is, you know, there are none. So why is it? The Torah tells me so. And how is it that we take on Yom Kippur, the Kohen Godol, has two goats, and he has a lottery. One goat is going to go be slaughtered and its blood sprinkled in the Holy of Holies. And the second one is going to be sent out of the camp, way into the desert. And there it's going to be sent down a cliff and dismembered. And on that goat go the sins of the Jewish nation, known as the scapegoat. This is clearly a chok, a law without our understanding. The quintessential chok is that which we alluded to before, the red heifer, which in of itself has the capacity to remove impurity. Why is that? That's a chok. But most important, as we pointed out, the one who administers the purification, he himself becomes impure. So now, what would it have been so bad had the Torah introduced this law by Zos Chukas Hapara? This is the law of the red heifer. Because after all, the Torah knows how to use that expression at the end of Parshas Bo, at the end of chapter 12, when the Torah is giving us the Samaritan of many of the laws of the Korban Pesach, there in chapter 12, verse 43, the Torah says, Zos chukas ha-pesach. So just 
as the Torah says there, this is the law of Pesach, so too the Torah could have said over here, Zos Chukas HaPorah. And nobody would have said, ah, it should have said Zos Chukas HaTorah. I'd like to suggest an answer. And I believe this answer is a very powerful one. And that is as follows. The Torah is teaching us that in reality, all of Torah... All of the 613 mitzvos are and contain an element of chok. Those chukas, these are the chukim, the laws which we can understand of the Torah, namely of the entire 613. Now it's clear in some that I've enumerated before that they are completely a chok. Others, even those that are mishpatim, even those that are laws, and logical, I'd like to strongly suggest, and those that are mitzvot, every mitzvah in the Torah contains an element of chok. And indeed, I'd suggest that tonight at your Shabbos table, discuss this. Where do you see the chok in Kiburav? I'm going to suggest a possibility. The fact that I have to honor a parent, that is questionable. We understand according to the Chinuch, it is HaKoras HaTov. For what my parents did for me, I have to honor them. But one could very well ask, excuse me, did I ask to be born? Okay, but beyond that, how do we understand the obligation of honoring a parent? Is it a shibud? Is it an obligation like I owe to another individual? And let's say I borrowed a thousand dollars from somebody, and that somebody then goes and wins the lottery. He's got so much money, doesn't know what to do with, comes back to me and says, You didn't, you know what? I forego, I am mochel the thousand dollars. Good. Then he no longer has a right to this money. A week later, he comes back, he says, Look, all the money that I won in the lottery, I blew. Unfortunately, can I please have my thousand dollars back? The answer is, I don't owe him a penny. He was mochel. He foregoed the loan. Well, what if a father or mother says to their child, I am mochel the kibud. I forego. You don't have to honor me. I don't want your kibud. They said this today. Can they change their mind next week, next year? So that's a very interesting question. And there are two opinions on this. And the opinion that says that they can change their mind is because this is different than a regular monetary obligation. This is an obligation set in by God. And therefore, today they have the right to say, I don't want it. But tomorrow, that obligation is still there because it is of a divine nature. I'd like to share with you a very interesting Rav Pincus. In his Teferis Shimshon, on the book of Shmos, he says this on the mitzvah of HaChuresh HaZelochem, that the Jewish calendar, which is the first mitzvah given to the Jewish people as a people in Egypt. So Rashi tells us, as we know, in Bereshis, first Rashi, that the Torah should have started with this mitzvah. And what is the last mitzvah? According to the Rambam, the last mitzvah is that of Hakel found in Parshas Vayelech that every seven years on the Chol HaMoed of Sukkot the Jewish king reads the Torah to the nation 
So he says, take a look at the first mitzvah. Take a look at the last mitzvah. And watch this. There's a very fascinating element of chok within these mitzvahs. And nobody would say that these two mitzvahs are really chukim. But watch. The Jewish calendar we know is based upon the moon. It's a lunar calendar. Now we know that the moon renews itself every 29 and a half days. But we don't simply work with this calculation. Rather, we insist that two witnesses come to the court saying that they saw the um, new moon on the previous night on what would be day 30. There's no such thing as a half a day. So what would be day 30? If two witnesses don't come, the weather was bad, whatever the reason, then automatically that month becomes a mole, a full month, and day 31 is going to become day 1, the next month. I, the Sanhedrin, knew exactly when the new moon was, where it was in the sky. When the witnesses come, they interview them, and they interrogate them. So why do I need the witnesses and their testimony in the first place? And the answer is, it's a chok. God wants it. It doesn't have to make sense to us. You can suggest He wants our participation. Beautiful, beautiful. But after all is said and done, it's a lunar calendar with man. That element is a chok. And let's take the last mitzvah, according to the Rambam. The last mitzvah is every seven years, you're to come to the Beis HaMikdash. The king is going to read the book of Devarim to the people. Who's to come? Men are to come. Wonderful. Women are to come, even though that's an exception to the rule. It's a positive mitzvah governed by time. And then the Torah says, who else do you bring? Nashim. Anoshim, Nashim v'taf. Bring the children. We're talking about not just children in grade school. We're talking about bringing babies. Excuse me, why am I bringing the baby into the Beis HaMikdash? Now, no matter how you're going to slice it, the ooh, to subject the child to this incredible experience, which the Rambam says is a kind of recreation of Maimon Har Sinai. This is all very fascinating, but it is beyond our comprehension why you would bring babies to this ceremony. So the first thing that we're getting out of Zos Chukasa Torah is that really every mitzvah contains within it an element of chok. Every mitzvah infuses Kedusha in our lives, those which we think we understand and those which we don't understand, as I call the onion theory, there are so many levels and layers to the Torah. I'd like to suggest in closing another explanation to Zos Chukas HaTorah. The Magen Avram in Simon 580 paragraph 9 tells us that today is the ninth of Tammuz, is a Tanis Sadikim. In the year 5004, 1224, in France 24 cartloads, wagons of Sfarim, Gemaras and other holy books were publicly burnt on this day. And to commemorate this tragedy, we fast, but interestingly, not on the day that it occurred. It occurred on the 9th of Tammuz. So I would have thought that every year on the 9th of Tammuz, and this year, it just so happens, today is the 9th of Tammuz, Erev, Shabbos, Parshas, Chukas. But they made it that it goes with the Parsha. The Friday before the reading of Parshas, Chukas, that's when they fasted. Why? The Targum, Unkelis, on Zos Chukas HaTorah is Da. 
Gzeras Oraisa. What does that mean? This is the destruction of the Torah. It alludes to the fact that this tragedy would occur. Now this points out the sum derech that Simcha, Ziskind, Brody, the late Mashkiach in Yeshivat Hebron, a very interesting idea. Torah creates a reality. Namely, in Parshas Baaloscha, Bahibin Soa Haron, the Gemara tells us in Shabbos 115b, is in the wrong place. It was put there to separate between two other tragedies, that there shouldn't be three tragedies in a row. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says, amazing, if he wouldn't say it, and if this wasn't in the Gemara, nobody would have the chutzpah to say this, that in the future, these two verses will be moved back where they belong to Parshas Bamidbar, where the Torah is talking about the traveling of the Jewish people. In the future, when Mashiach comes, we get out of shul a minute later on Parshas Bamidbar, a minute earlier in Parshas Baaloscho, because these two psukim are going to be moved. Why are they here? To differentiate and to separate between two and not have three Puranos, three bad things in a row. They're, they're running away from Harsinai like a child running out of school. They're complaining about the quick traveling to Eretz Yisrael, which God did to hasten their trip, to bring them to something good, and finally complaining about the Mun. Three in a row would create, God forbid, a state of Puranos, a state of tragedy. Amazing. The Torah is not just a book of constitution. It's not just our history. But the Torah creates reality. Amazing. Histakel Ba'oraisa. The Zohar tells us God looked into the Torah. Ubara Alma and he created the world is to be taken very, very literally. And therefore, another very positive interpretation of Zoschukas HaTorah is this idea of in the Torah itself it was Meramis. And now I'll conclude with the fact that we have the Para Aduma, which is that we accept death, we accept that this is the process of purification from death, the Paraduma accepts us, or helps us accept the other challenges of life, personal tragedies, communal tragedies, including the burning of 24 wagon full of svarim, prior to the time of printing, how precious every Haggadah was, how precious every Gemara was, how precious every Chumash was. This was such a devastating blow, hinted at in the Torah. Lekamidi, the Loramiza Oraisa. There is nothing that is not found in our Torah. It's just up to us to find it and to continue observing it and hallow it with great respect. Shabbat Shalom to all.
Listener Yassi, who alerted me to that brand new selection by Simcha Liner, that is Lachado D, brand new single here at JM in the AM. Friday morning on the Zarev Shabbos Parshas Chukas, as you heard Rabbi Yudin say, Vav Chukas. Um, not a great day in Jewish history. Candle lighting at 8.11 on this Friday morning, or I should say more like Friday night, it'll be 8.11. Uh, a lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Great programming all through the weekend. We'll start with uh, Naomi Nachman, who's coming up next right after JM in the AM. She has an amazing program. We call it Table for Two. And today, Naomi will feature a couple of very special guests. She'll have uh, teen celebrity chef Eitan Bernath, chef Katsuji Tanabe of Mexicosher from L.A., and Lisa Hawk, the executive director of the Levi Yitzchak Children's Library in the five towns. They're bringing in the chef 
to do a cooking demo for the library's annual Chinese auction. Naomi speaks with the whole panel between the 9 and 10 this morning on table for two right after JM and the AM. Um, a Kedem presentation of our incredible Arab Shabbos music stream goes all the way until candle lighting. If you're stuck on the roads today or if you're uh, in a lot of traffic, wherever you're heading on this uh, summer Friday, make sure to have our app on. Tune in, enjoy the incredible, and I mean incredible, Erev Shabbos music mix that we have uh, on the stream all through the day. It is pretty remarkable. Uh, Want to wish a Mazlov got this via email. Mazlov to Abraham Nirin of Elizabeth, New Jersey. His bar mitzvah is tomorrow. Mazel tov to... Uh, I don't know if it's Rachi or Rachi, but uh, we'll say Rachi and Lee Nearin and grandparents Miriam and Lenny Halstuck and Charles and Marilyn uh, Nearin from all of us here at JM in the AM. I think it's Rachi and Lee. I think so. Uh, Mazal Tov, Abraham Nearin of Elizabeth, New Jersey, from all of us here at JM in the AM. Lobo left me a message. Yeah, alert, alert, alert. Lobo left us a message. Apparently the Lobos have claimed the championship in the Aviator Football League. This is not the first time, supposedly. They've been champions before. <laughs> surprise, surprise. I don't think Lobo would have called me if they, if they weren't repeat champions. Um, so a shout-out going out to Avi Rudman. Avi Rudman, uh, he was the leader of the team, according to what we've heard, the uh, Aviator Lobos. And I'm sure that Mort and Yaakov and Jack and Bernice, everybody in the extended Rudman um, Athletic Hall of Fame, are all very proud of the Lobo victory. So Mazal Tov Lobo from all of us here at JM and the AM. And I'm assuming that this will be another summer filled with Lobo announcements about victories week after week. I don't think it's just championships. I think he's going to make sure to tell us about every single victory in the Bungalow Baseball League as well. More coming up. It's JM and the AM on an Erev Shabbos Friday morning broadcast. Here's Yaakov Shweki. Shalom, 
Thank Matis Weingast. He tells me it's the Nyron family. The Nyron family is celebrating the Bar Mitzvah this Shabbos. So I'll stuff to Abraham Nyron and the entire family from all of us here at JM in the AM. I want to remind everybody the Lamdenu, the Lamdenu brand new summer semester begins on Monday. Information about it 
Uh, they're at Congregation Beth Aaron in Teaneck, New Jersey. Go to lamdenu.org. That's lamdenu.org. And a reminder that Charlie Burnhout presents his Yasala's World this coming Sunday at 7.30 p.m. at B'nai Yashur, an amazing look at the life of Yasala Rosenblatt with uh, Charlie's 78 uh, recordings on a Victor phonograph from 1905, film clips and more. It's a B'nai Yashur and Teaneck this coming Sunday night. I highly recommend it. Time to take a Shabbos with Journeys. Shining through the trees Another week's gone by Become a memory So throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do Go on home and find the gift That's waiting there for you Oh, it's time to say good job
Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listen to sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mano, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Wraps up another great week for us here at JMNAM. Make sure to be tuned in Monday morning when we restart. At 6 a.m., make sure to uh, tune in Sunday for Matis and JM Sunday beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on our stream at jmnam.org and on the NSN app. Coming up next, Naomi Nachman kicks off a great weekend of programming with Table for Two. You can see it at nachumsegel.com on the homepage, and you can hear it, of course, through all of our regular sources. Have a wonderful Shabbos, great weekend. Until next time, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.